Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Benoit. Hey, hey, not exactly here. We're having to record these remotely, but we're still here, right? We're <laughs> probably two or three hours apart, is my guess. You in Knoxville? I am in Knoxville today, but about to head back to Nashville. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's a great idea, but... <laughs> I know, right? Taking the risk. What do you want to do? <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, we are, uh, of course, all um, uh, quarantined, uh, and our guest today was gracious enough... Uh, to spend some time with us and um, you can spend some time with him uh, because it's Gene Getz and he's written 60 books. Um, odds are if you went to seminary in the last 30 years or even if you didn't, um, you've read some of his books. Um, I know uh, I actually have one on uh, on my nightstand that I didn't I, I just realized <laughs> that I was thinking about because, of course, um, I'm always writing on leadership and uh, Elders and Leaders is that book. Um, so if you're looking for a, a great resource on Elders and Leaders, that's that's one. Um, but, man, the measure of a man, uh, I think, is has been foundational for a lot of guys. But there's so many books that we could talk about, you know, from healthy churches to all kinds of different things. So, you know, the measure of a healthy church, for instance, what, what does a healthy church look like during this time in our history? Um, so there's all kinds of stuff that I'm really excited to ask uh, Dr. Gene Getz today. And uh, man, you've been a, a teacher at uh, DTS for a number of years and we've had guests on from DTS. Everybody knows how much I, I, I love that institution. Um, you were at, uh, Chase Oaks and fellowship Bible church. Um, is there, what else would you want us to know about you before we get started? Well, um, Hey, it's great to be with you guys. And, uh, Hey, thanks for the review there. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting in my studio here in, uh, well, Plano, Texas, actually, Dallas, I'll give you the frame of reference. And, uh, of course, the thing that's occupied my life virtually full time for the last 15 years is uh, the Life Essential Study Bible. It took seven years to uh, actually do the first edition. And uh, as you know, it includes um, uh, 1,500 principles to live by embedded in the biblical text. But the uniqueness of it is that with each of the videos, there's a QR code that gives you access to 1,500 principles. So can you imagine, uh, they, well, you can imagine why it took seven years to do the project. <laughs> and uh, the last seven years, I've been redoing all the videos, updating them uh, to high definition, and hopefully increasing the quality, because <laughs> I go back and re-prepare every video, right. uh, every every script, and... Um, update it. So that's been my life, really, uh, the focus of my life for the last 15 years since I passed my baton of leadership to uh, my successor uh, here at, 
well, what was Fellowship Bible Church North? Now we call it Chase Oaks Church. I'm still a part of that church, by the way. Our offices are in the actual church offices, this offices of the Center for Church Renewal. So it's been a neat uh, transition to be able to to be in the church. This this is one of the churches I started, and that was the last one where I passed my baton about 15 years ago. So here I sit and uh, talking with you guys and it's an interesting world we live in right now. Kind of crazy. <laughs> it absolutely it really is. It really is. Um, I, you know, one of the, the questions I think um, pastors are, are wrestling with is, you know, they're moving through hopefully different stages now. Um, Andy Crouch said, uh, you know, everybody thinks this is, everybody's got a shift from thinking this is a, a two week blizzard we're dealing with into a, a, a mini ice age. And my question for you is, you know, uh, obviously you are um, one of the godfathers of church renewal and revitalization. How does a church shift their thinking during this time to help see this as an opportunity and shift from response to renewal? Well, basically, I think that, um, first of all, has to come from the top people are sheep and they need to be led and they will be led if you've got strong leadership. And the thing I appreciated so much about uh, Chase Oaks Church, and I can now brag about it because I'm just a member, I'm not involved in the leadership, but they were out front in terms of this. And um, they were out front of it in terms of, of basically uh, getting prepared for these lockdowns, you know, in our homes. And actually, uh, with a huge, large staff, being able to function from home, uh, they were laying the groundwork for how are we going to make this work so our total team can really work and be efficient. And uh, then they were out front, I believe, in, in um, uh, saying, hey, we're canceling services before they were even asked to be canceled and preparing for that so we could go online with everybody and then bring an encouraging message. You know, be prepared. Uh, Jeff did a great job, my successor, and preparing the people and guiding the people and leading them back to scripture um, and seeing this as an opportunity, as you said, because it is it is an opportunity. I think that uh, it's an opportunity for all of us. And as I look at what has happened, I was thinking about this this morning, that what is the greatest lesson that we can learn generally and corporately as a nation from the president's office right on down uh, to those of us who are you know, functioning at the level we function, I think the greatest lesson that we can learn from this is humility. You know, we've been talking about how great we are, and uh, I thank God that we're, we've been a great nation and leading nation, and stock market's been great, and, you know, um, uh, and, you know, uh, politics is, is arrogance <laughs> so many times, and I, I see a more humbling uh, leadership team now at the top and uh, in our government. And uh, on radio, for example, I was talking with um, a businessman yesterday um, on the telephone. He's very, very, uh, very, very well known in the Dallas area. He owns and operates about eight car dealerships. 
and I just checked in on him to see how he was doing. He's on my board as well. And, and boy, I'm, they're, they're really struggling. I just hear the pain in his voice as he's saying, you know, we're looking at the bottom line and having to lay off people. And, and boy, he said, uh, you know, people are going to be in trouble. And, um, and then he said, but, you know, I was listening to two secular radio stations, uh, in two separate situations, obviously. And these secular guys, um, uh, that were leading said, well, they were interviewing, you know, Christian leaders, pastors, whatever. They said, would you pray for our nation? I mean, this was a secular station wow. saying, would you pray for our nation? Um, so I, I, I think that this is going to give us an opportunity as Christians to demonstrate uh, that we're Christians. And one of the ways and we can do that, by the way, is be submissive to the government because I've as you guys know, there are some who are saying we're going to go out and we're going to meet anyway and we're going to have a church and and uh, just disobey the government. And frankly, I think that's a horrible witness uh, to the to the Christian to the to the secular world, um, you know, coming doing that kind of thing. So I, I think that we just have lots of opportunities. Yeah. Oh, and I think you have a unique perspective, especially coming from professor and pastor for many years. I, one quote I've heard some pastors say is, you know, there wasn't a seminary class to teach me on how to deal with the pandemic, right? I mean, this is uncharted territory for ministering and pastoring. And oh, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> you know, and, and I would take that even a step further in my own life. You know, I was a professor for 20 years. Uh, by the way, I was 13 years at Moody Bible Institute um, teaching and leading. I was directing the Moody Evening School for about six of those years and got to know Howie Hendricks on the circuit. And uh, we were in, in significant leadership roles together. And he invited me to come to Dallas Seminary. So it was at Dallas where back in the late 60s, early 70s, where I was really challenged with questions from my students on the relevancy of the church. And I did something that I, as a professor, I've <laughs> never done before and I've never done since, but I uh, came to the class the middle of the semester. I was teaching about 200 guys in two sections. I said, guys, um, I sense that I haven't prepared this class to answer your questions right now in this shifting culture. And that was a shifting culture back then, um, you know, middle of Vietnam War and anti-institutionalism and the, you know, the, the, the whole hippie movement and the whole situation, questioning authority. And, um, and basically, I had guys in the class that were questioning the relevancy of the church or even if maybe God's going to bypass the church. And I knew that God wasn't going to do that. But I simply came to the course and said, hey, guys, trash your syllabus. Throw it in the can. Wow. Um, I said, we're going to go back to the syllabus. We're going we're to go back to the New Testament, start with the Great Commission, and just start walking through uh, Book of Acts and the epistles and, and see how the church made disciples and build those disciples. And uh, by the way, that was on a Thursday. My class met again on Tuesday. There was a two-hour block. <laughs> and so uh, what am I going to do? So I went to the seminary on Saturday and Sunday and started through the whole of the New Testament, basically, beginning with the Great Commission and 
stacked, had tons of notes that I made in that uh, actually 48-hour period, came to the class and said, guys, here's what I've been doing on the weekend. Uh, take these 18 pages, single-spaced, and it's all scripture, and see what you think the church ought to be. And that was the beginning. <clears throat> that was the beginning of the process where I uh, wrote a book I didn't plan to write, which was sharpening the focus of the church, which led me to start a church I never planned to start, which was the first fellowship Bible church back in 1972, which led me then out of the path, out of the, the halls of of teaching, the sacred halls, uh, to be a pastor. And, and the bottom line is for this whole story goes back to the question you asked me, that uh, for, for 20 years I was a professor preparing people to do the ministry, and the next 40 years I learned how. <laughs> I learned how. That's the bottom line on, on what you asked me about 10 minutes ago <laughs> in terms of, yeah, when you're out in the pastorate, you're in the real world, and there are just a lot of things that at the seminary, and I'm not anti-seminary, obviously I'm great appreciative of that, but um, there's just, a, you know, there are a lot of things you talk about through, theoretically, and they're taught, and you teach that way um, at times, and uh, then you go out and you face the real world. Well, I, I indeed, I taught how to do church for 20 years. And literally, the next 40, I've been learning how, and I'm still learning how, um, because it's it's a lifetime process. And um, anyway, I'm rambling. Did you? Oh. <laughs> no, that's brilliant stuff. Um, you actually, you're hitting on something that, uh, uh, do you know Warren Benson? Did you, did you know Warren Benson? Yes, I did. Yeah. Whitey, we used to call him. He was you my know that. No, uh, I've heard him called that. He was my mentor, actually. No, and, at Trinity. At Trinity? No. So what happened was, I mean, I think he was in his, he, he, I mean, he's significantly older than you, I think. And he. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was older than me. <laughs> Although I'm, uh, I, I don't know. Like 15 years I'm, ago. I'm 88. So. Well, I think we, he was pushing 80 when he was. Uh, so he was. So I, he was, you know, at Trinity, he was also at DTS and, um, uh, yeah, we knew each other. Well. He was at Southern teaching on, on Mondays. And so he had three classes on Mondays and that was it. Um, but I had, I took every, you know, every, uh, class I could get from him and, um, spent a lot of time with him outside of class. And mostly it was because, he told a lot of really good stories that had really practical application. He brought us, I don't know how many case studies and would process, uh, you know, them with us. And, um, just that, that wisdom that comes from, you know, knowledge applied is, is such an amazing thing. And that's why, you know, when, when I look back at, uh, a lot of your books, um, it's, you know, there's some that like are always there at the ready, like elders and leaders is always not too far. And I know where I left it, um, just because of what I do, but there's other books, whether it be personal, like measure of a man or, 
you know, something that, that you may have written in, um, in a series addressing, you know, generosity in the church or, um, I don't know, you know, what it's like in the Christian home or any church growth stuff. It, uh, I, I've always really appreciated, um, just the practicality and the practical application, uh, but out of the heart of ministry, that balance I think is, is hard to find. So. Well, it's really interesting, really interesting that, um, as I look at the books that have had the most impact and that have endured are the ones that I've, I've written, not because I had planned to write them, but they grew out of, of a challenge, just like sharpening the focus or the measure of a man or elders and leaders. I mean, I, I basically, uh, every, every one of those books has a story, but, but take measure of a man, for example, can you, you know, to me, that's absolutely amazing because, um, I wrote that book, uh, as a result of starting the first church and wanting to build a strong foundation with men, invited them to come to a Bible study. 25 guys showed up and uh, looking around for something to study. I went to First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, 20 qualities of maturity, which are not only applicable to leaders, but to all of us men. And, um, and I said, guys, let's do 20 weeks of study on these. And I led the first one demonstrated uh, how to do it and spent an hour, spent 30 minutes in the word defining the principle and then 30 minutes talking about how we could apply it. And the fascinating thing about that was that uh, I began, uh, then I said, hey, uh, I'm going to sign other guys to, to lead this. And I asked for volunteers and I had modeled how to do it. And then I just folded into the group and began to journal week after week. And, and, uh, a friend of mine, uh, actually Bill Gregg, who was president of gospel light publications came to Dallas. I'd known Bill and he just stopped by and said, Hey, you know, Jim, what's going on? And I hear great things about the church you've started and it's growing. And I said, well, Bill, here's one thing I'm doing. I opened up my notebook where I was journaling. He's looked at it for about two minutes and he said, Hey, I want this as a book. I want this as a book. And uh, would you write a book? And I, I said, I'll pray about it. And, and uh, by the way, that's a writer's dream, you know, uh, <laughs> when you're asked like that. And so consequently, I, I wrote The Measure of a Man as a result of that study. And would you believe that it's never gone out of print in 45 years? It's been translated into uh, multiple languages and it's being used more today than when I first wrote it 45 years ago. And I often say it's not because I wrote it. It was because I borrowed the outline from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and you know where, you know where he got it, you know, directly from the Holy Spirit. And so that's why it's endured for 45 years. I just, I've updated it, you know, brought it into the current centuries, but, um, uh, one of the reasons I, I never would have written that book if I hadn't started the church and missed started meeting with a group of guys, I hadn't even thought about it. And, um, to me, it was a divine experience. Um, I do want to know this question from you. I mean, obviously, you know, some of our listeners, their ears perked up when they heard, I wrote this book 45 years ago. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't your, uh, your first couple of years of ministry, you already had uh, several decades under your belt then. 
So like, who are you currently learning from? I, that, that would be a, a, an important question. Well, I'm, I'm currently learning from my team. Um, I'm learning from, uh, people on my team. <laughs> uh, David, who set all this up for me today is my guru in technology. And, uh, uh, I used to be, by the way, the first book I ever wrote back in 1958 was audiovisual media in the church. Would you believe? <laughs> and, uh, I, that became is a that standard textbook. Uh, that that became uh, standard text uh, for a number of years, and um, I had to update it very regularly. And when I finally gave up on editing to become a functionary rather than, you know, learning all the technical aspect was, uh, you remember when they came out with those Kodak projectors, a computerized system where you could run about four, about uh, twenty Kodak projectors at one time. You remember that? That may be, that was the turning point where I said, I give up. <laughs> I, I've got to become a functionary rather than a technician and a functionary. But boy, that stood me in good case. So all that to say is that it's, it's Dave that keeps me current in technology. For example, we're working at home now. And I would say that 80% of my executive assistant's work is typing scripts because I'm redoing all these videos. I have a two-minute radio program, which I script. And uh, how am I going to keep up with all this? Well, David found a very unique app that uh, uh, is it's incredible uh, where I can just dictate on my phone and uh, then I can just click and send it to my executive assistant who's working at home. She picks up an audio file that I've just text and she goes to work and types it. And then of course she can send it to me on my computer. But, you know, there's so much going on, so much technological advance that uh, I just learned from David all the time. I learned today, sitting here watching him set up everything. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, I, I learned from godly businessmen uh, that on my board, uh, if I've got a, a an Old Testament question, which I have periodically where I'm reviewing and going through all this thing, I pick the phone and call Dr. Gene Merrill, who's an Old Testament scholar. I'll say, hey, Gene, I'm struggling with, with what is this, you know? Um, uh, to me, you've got to keep learning, uh, all the time. And if you stop learning, you're going to stop growing. And so again, I'm collaborating here. No, <laughs> so, I, I love, I love how you talked about the, even the scripting, uh, work smarter, not harder, right? Find an app that can do it for you. And <laughs> I think that's a great way to learn. And, you know, I think a question that a lot of other pastors love to hear from those ahead of them is how they organize their sermons and how they preach. And I just, I just want to ask you, cause you said you script out, you know, your radio shows and other things. And of course you're working on the life essential study Bible. So you want that scripted out. But when you used to preach, uh, did you actually script it out and then manuscript or did you take an outline up? What did that look like for you? Well, that's a very interesting story because it, it I learned to write pretty early on in my, in my ministry. In fact, I taught a course at Dow Seminary on, on writing. But uh, when, I, uh, when I started pastoring, 
uh, being a writer, uh, I determined that if I was going to do a series, uh, I would write my sermon as if you were reading it. And there's a difference. I'd write it as if you were reading it. Then I would just adapt out, adapt an outline from that quote chapter, as it were, adapt an outline from that. And boy, once you have that written out, that outline, you go, I can really go free flow, uh, leave the script and, um, and be pretty spontaneous, but very, very uh, organized in what I'm communicating. I kind of reverse the process because most pastors who write books will, you know, prepare an ordinary sermon and then they'll teach from that sermon, sometimes pretty spontaneously. Uh, and then they'll have somebody take it and uh, type it all off. And, and you know that when you have something like that, uh, it doesn't look very good on paper <laughs> because, you know, I can be talking to you right now as I'm talking and I can keep talking and I can go right on and I can go from one subject to another and I still haven't put a period uh, and you can still understand me. But when you write, you you have to have <laughs> clean statements, periods, paragraphs. Well, I did that ahead of time, uh, rather than after the fact, and so that's that's how how I did it. But I found that that really gave me um, by scripting it as a as a, a a clean manuscript that you would read. I found that really helped me to communicate and to be spontaneous. It's, all, it's always fun to get a little bit of behind the scenes of the process. So thanks for sharing that with us. Now, I know you mentioned now you're, you're working with your team. What would you say is the main point of emphasis for your leadership team or even yourself right now? Well, right now is how can we stay on top of all the tasks that we have and keep things moving in spite of this shutdown because of the virus. And, uh, and so... Now, we're, we're not as efficient as we are when we're all huddled right here in this office because there's nobody here uh, in this building except us right now in the studio. But um, uh, that that's the real challenge that we've had in the last week. And uh, again, my associate, associate David has really worked hard, you know, developing the technology and the, the way in which we can keep moving. And so that that's, if you ask for the main point of emphasis right now, that's it. And um, yep. working hard. And I'm sure many of those listening are wrestling through that as well. And everybody's trying to figure out what does it look like when we're decentralized? Everybody's working from home, shut down. So I know those listening are probably nodding their heads saying, yep, we're doing, we're doing the exact same thing. What are one or two things that you continue to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? The, the thing that pops out in my mind that is absolutely essential for me, using that word cautiously, is to re read and pray with my wife in the morning. Um, as I did this morning, uh, and as off and as possible, uh, because that's so important for me to, as, as, um, just as a husband, as a father, grandfather, as a leader, uh, and that has been very meaningful. And by the way, I just have to tell you a story. 
that, and this happened several years ago, but I was in a hurry to get to the office and I had tons of stuff to do. And that became a pattern of uh, eating breakfast, grabbing breakfast, um, or even if we ate out, which you do a lot now at our age, except for the last couple of weeks. But uh, um, we'd always end breakfast with uh, sharing prayer and, and reading, having something that we read that gives us a capsule from Scripture. And I, I was rushing. And, um, and finally, one day, Elaine said to me, she said, Jane, I have to tell you something. She said, I, I noticed that um, prayer is not, you're, you're ceasing to make that a priority. And boom, it just hit me, you know, right between the eyes and in my heart because she was right. And that really grabbed my attention. And to me, um, that got me back on track in terms of, of that relationship. And of course, you know, that's so important in terms of just your relationship with your wife. And I, I find that if I don't maintain that relationship, uh, I, I, I can't function effectively. I mean, that just, that just um, interferes with my ability to concentrate. And if, if I'm out of harmony with Elaine and we're not working together and communicating and She's on my team and she's been on my team all these years, but uh, I'm elaborating a little bit on that, but to me, that's very important. And then a second thing I would say is very important every day is communicate with my staff. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, you know, if I'm working off campus that I do a lot at Panera Bread where I'll spend a whole day <laughs> in a booth, with my laptop and uh, doing scripts and uh, dictating and stuff like that, I call the office and say, hey, so here I am. I'm working today. Call me anytime um, and stay in touch. And I find that building that team is communication, communication, communication. And if communication breaks down, is to hit it immediately. Open that door of communication. And that's what keeps us very, very efficient. And, uh, and then I say a third thing to do is to make sure we keep up. For me, keeping up with my tasks. You know, I've got videos to do. I'm redoing all those videos, which I mean I have to keep the scripts going because those scripts and I have to go to the guy that does all my PowerPoints. Uh, that all has to be done ahead of time. Uh, I've got to meet a schedule there. And, uh, you know, emails have to be answered. I try on Friday afternoon, uh, the office shuts down on Friday afternoon, but I have the whole Friday afternoon to make sure that I go through everything on my desk and make sure that I've dictated answers to all emails, um, correspondence, phone calls. I try to end the week and walk away from my office fairly clean, you know, so that when I hit it Monday, uh, you know, I'm not, my mind isn't cluttered. And I look at that and say, oh boy, where do I start? <laughs> so anyway, those are, those are just a little bit of what I've developed. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. 
and launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. But I just really appreciate you... uh, you know, all the way through, whether you're talking about your uh, your your team or your wife or or whoever, um, it's obvious that those people mean uh, a lot to you, and that you're ready to uh, to lift them up publicly. So that's uh, that's a, that's a great trait. Um, I I want to ask you. You mentioned your grandkids, um, and so. I'm sure that you've you've offered uh, wise and sage advice, but what would you tell yourself, uh, your 20 year old self, about preparing to lead? Uh, the word that comes to mind is be teachable. Be teachable, and uh, and I've I've tried to practice that. Uh, I think I've developed that. Uh, but the second thing I would say is. Uh, it just goes right back to how much I believe that that profile in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are for those of us who are men. And by the way, uh, those qualities are repeated for women throughout the New Testament with the exception of a husband and one wife and uh, uh, managing your own household. And even those are repeated for women uh, to be a husband, a woman of one man and a and uh, a good manager of the household is a woman. But those qualities are so foundational. And uh, as a 20-year-old, I, I wish that I had known those qualities when I was 20. Uh, I didn't really study those in depth until I, believe it or not, until I got involved in church planting. And that's when I really began to study those in depth and see how important that is in discipling men and how important it is when you appoint elders and leaders and deacons and so forth, um, because to me that's the key to the unity in 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 a a leadership team, uh, a board, uh, as a husband uh, leading, are those qualities. I mean those, and, and and we're ever in process of developing them. To me, those qualities are a reflection of Jesus Christ. And we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but we also know that it's going to take a lifetime to be conformed to the image of Christ. And even then, it won't happen until we're, you know, translated into his presence. And then we'll be like him, we'll see him face to face. But to me, if someone had shared that with me, it would have been helpful. And by the way, I hadn't thought about it until you asked me that question here <laughs> and reflected on that. Um, I wish I had known those way back then. Well, uh, just thank you so much for uh, not only in, investing in us today, but investing in us, uh, or at, at least for me, for sure, over the years through uh, books and, and other resources. Um, uh, I'm can, I tell you, can, I, can I tell you another story, and you may use this or not, but you mentioned Howie Hendricks. 
Yeah. Um, Howie, you know, invited me to come to, we called him Howie or the prof, but he called, he brought him. Yeah. Doc, he invited me to come to Dallas to be his associate. And, um, and he was the one that gave me the freedom to really explore in that course that I was teaching that really changed my life when I wrote Sharpening the Folks of the Church and led me into church planting. But um, as, as how he was, and he's, as you know, he's with the Lord, but as he was starting to fail and spending a lot of time at home, um, I, I said to Elaine, I said, you know, I've never really expressed appreciation uh, to, to, to the prof, to Howie for all that he, the freedom he gave me. And I said, let's just take the Gene and Howie out to dinner and say thank you and called him and we met at a really nice restaurant. And I said, Howie, there's only one thing on my agenda, one thing tonight other than eating is to thank you for the freedom that you gave me and to express my appreciation. It's changed my life. It led me into church planting. You know, I've written books and so forth as a result of it, and so thank you. And it, he was kind of nonplussed, and and then he answered, and he said, uh, Jane, you would be surprised at all the individuals that I built my life into, the men that I built my life into, and I can count on one or two hands the number who have said what you said to me tonight in terms of thanking me. They, they've not looked back over their shoulder. And I thought, whoa. And I said, whoa, that, that shouldn't happen. Now, there are reasons for that. I think that everybody thinks that everybody else is doing it or thinking that that person doesn't need it. But I decided to do something, uh, and I did this for a couple of years for Howie before he passed. I'd be traveling. I'd be in California, and a student would come up to me, former student, and say, would talk, and said, you know, Jane Howie Hendricks, that course I took in Bible study methods just changed my life and my study of the Bible. I said, have you ever told him that? He said, well, No. I said, would you like to? Well, yeah. I pull out my cell phone. I dial the home number. Gene picks up. I said, Gene, this is Gene Gaz. Well, hi, Gene. I says, Howie there. Yeah, he's right here. Would you put him on? And uh, Howie said, hi. And I said, Howie, there's somebody here that wants to tell you how much he appreciates you and what you've done for him. And I hand the phone and the guy stands there for five minutes and tells how I, what it meant to him. I, I did that about 10 times from different parts of the country before Howie passed. Can you imagine what that meant to him? Hmm. Uh, and what it meant to those guys. And, and I often say, why didn't you do that? Well, I didn't say this, but my speculation is, is they didn't have opportunity or they didn't make the opportunity or they thought everybody else was doing it. Uh, they thought, well, Howie doesn't need that, you know, but that's a misinterpretation. We all need encouragement. And um, so I, I, you mentioned Howie, and I thought you might be interested in that story, and you can toss it out, but uh, it's kind of meaningful, I think. 
Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I think that, okay, so uh, there has to be a light bulb that, that hits you one day where you realize that your, your legacy in ministry is, you know, not what you personally do, but who you develop and the, the, the fruit that grows on other people's trees is really your fruit in a very non-selfish, uh, humble way. Um, if you're keeping score, that's one of the most beautiful ways uh, to keep score. And so when I look at uh, the, the legacy and you, you and I talked about this before we got on air um, because I rattle off several DTS uh, professors, Aubrey Malfers, who people that know me and have been listening for a while will know that uh, he's, his work has meant a lot to me. And, um, you know, guys that came out of there, like Will Mancini, who's a friend of ours, um, you know, we would, we'd talk about Hendrix and, and, and Aubrey and, uh, different people all the time. And it is just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing. And, and to know you don't have to be uh, a professor at a seminary, um, to make that impact because I guarantee you, Gene, you know, we both can look back on the men and women of God that made us who we are. And sure, some of those are are maybe a, a professor or a pastor, but a lot of them are just good and godly people who, when we were young, uh, children or, or, or youth or young adults, they cared about us and they cared enough to, you know, speak into our lives in some way. Sometimes, uh, that was with, you know, uh, a, a curriculum, even if they were a Sunday school teacher, they just cared enough to walk us through that scope and sequence. And they didn't have to be a professor. They just had to be a good and godly person who cared enough to invest in us. And so if, if people walk away, leaders walk away with anything, uh, today, I, I would just want them to walk away with, um, with your example and the, the examples that, um, you've given all the way through this podcast of just well, people who I, you realize, know, yeah. you know, it, mm -hmm. it's clear. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that you've really hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, it works both ways, but every one of us is building on the shoulders of somebody else, somebody, you know, and it, it's so easy to say, I did this myself, but you, when I look back, every door that opened, that I was able to walk through was opened by somebody else that believed in me. And, and it just, uh, it's so easy to say, you know, I did this myself. And I think that's a temptation to allow ego to take over. And I remember when I went to Moody Bible Institute as a kid, as it were coming off the farm and out of a sect and couldn't speak the King's English very well. And, um, had to take a remedial composition course. Uh, and if somebody would have told me that, that I would write 60 books, I'd say you're nuts, you're crazy. And yet the reason that that began, that process began, there's a professor there that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And he said, Gene, you've got talent, you've got ability. And eventually towards the end of my studies, he said, someday I want you to come back and teach here. I want you to go on and get more education, which I never thought I'd ever do. But he believed in me and just kept encouraging me and encouraging me, even when I was in going on in advanced education. And he's the one that opened the door for me to come back to Moody, uh, believed in me. And um, 
you know, um, that changed my life. And, uh, and I, as I look back over my life, that's been true. Every door basically that is opened is somebody opened it for me. And I just was able to walk through it through their encouragement. And, uh, so I just praise God for that. It's been a great example to me. Um, and I hope I'll never forget that. Uh, well, uh, thanks again for spending so much time with us today. Uh, listeners do check out, uh, that life essentials study Bible. Um, I think you'll find it, it, it quite rich and, you know, just, the the fact that you're coming around, circling around and updating that, uh, I think is, is great. Obviously for those listening, they, they know that, um, you have a lot of ministry experience and you've been through what seemed like several eras of, of church and ministry. And, um, and with that is a wealth of knowledge. So we appreciate you just continuing to, uh, invest in the generations. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Todd Chandler. It's, uh, it's been fun. Really fun. Thank you. Listeners, uh, if you would please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening. See ya.